Why are we writing and talking about what happened in Assam decades ago? Why are we doing so now? And why are we committing to doing not just one article, but a series of two on successive Saturdays, our customary national interest slot on this? First person, second draft is an occasional series I started in mid-2013, inspired by Shujit Sarkar's brilliant film, Badras Cafe. This was set in the terror phase in Sri Lanka, leading up to Rajiv Gandhi's assassination. On India's Independence Day that year, I was invited to deliver the annual Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka India Society lecture. Fresh from watching the film, it gave me an opportunity to revisit many of the moments, places and people that featured in my decade of covering the Sri Lankan crisis, 1984 to 1994. The result was a series of three articles, which were initially published in the Indian Express. After that, there were more in the series, including three articles on Punjab. You can find all of these articles in the links that I will share with you with the description of this video. In the course of these might feature as much as much more detailed accounts in a book in the course of time. Until then, I will keep bringing you occasional series like these, especially when something brings back any of the big stories and memories that I covered in my decades as a field reporter. These were stories I covered and witnessed in the first person. So first person changes took place in the course of time. These changes and the hindsight benefit of hindsight now give us an opportunity to write a second draft. That's why the series is called First Person, Second Draft. The idea of this Assam series was sparked about two weeks back at a small and solemn gathering of a group of friends, very old friends and acquaintances at New Delhi's Lodhi Estate Electric Crematorium. We were there to mourn Vinay Kohli, a distinguished 1966 batch IS officer of the Assam Meghalaya cadre. Several key fellow travelers and admirers were there, admirers of Mr. Kohli's, late Mr. Kohli's, they were there. I met some after years and a few after decades. There was Madan P. Bezbarua, who used to be Assam's Home Secretary in my years there and in the late 1980s. There were, there were also young Jitesh Khosla and Anup Thakur with their wives. Like Bez Barua, these Assam cadre officers retired at the rank of central government secretaries. But I say young for these two because that's what they were and that's, that's the way I was during that troubled epoch in the Northeast. I met them both on their first or thereabouts postings in service as subdivisional officers in Golaghat and Mangaldoi respectively. These young officers were trying to prevent trouble or then trying to control trouble and I was of course there looking for trouble to report. And during that awful fortnight when Indira Gandhi decided to force an election nobody wanted in Assam, you didn't have to go looking for trouble. It followed you all the time, whether you were an officer or a reporter. My vivid memories had returned that morning at the funeral. Then a couple of days later, serendipitously, my colleague Praveen Swami, the national security editor at The Print, reminded me that this, that this first fortnight of February was going to mark the 40th anniversary of the bloodiest one in Assam's history, where by my reckoning about 7,000 people were killed, even the official estimate was nearly half of this or a little over half of this. That's why this first article or my first podcast and video in this series of two. This one is on how the violence built up during the election, particularly in the Nelly area. The next article on Saturday, 18 February, will mark the exact 
date of the 40th anniversary of Nelly massacre. I just recorded a cut-the-clutter episode with my eyewitness account of that massacre. I bet you might have either seen it or you can see it with the description today. I'll share a link with you. So please take a look at that as well if you haven't already. The next article will talk about how some of us working with Arun Shori then unraveled an incredible story of incompetence, negligence, cover-ups and even complicity that resulted in those great killings over a fortnight. Some of these accounts draw from my 1983-84 book, Assam Valley Divided. This is my last copy and as you can see, this does not even have a jacket, but you will find a jacket on the screen, on your screens. If you can find a copy somewhere, please tell me, I'll buy it. Uh, the book has been out of print for a very long time. Now, given that it was the 40th anniversary and the memories were back, I also did a quick speed reading of my own book. And I'm drawing a great deal from it as I speak and write about what happened 40 years ago because this is in a way recorded history. Looking back with the benefit of hindsight, as I just said, what stand out now is how complacent, distracted, harassed, complicit and insensitive the police and the authorities were then. Which takes me straight back to the earlier rounds of violence in Naogong, now Nagaon district, where Nelly was located. A junior police officer was candid and prophetic about the situation a week before the great massacre at Nelly. And I quote him, as I quoted him in the book, I wish the bubble in Nogong had burst earlier like in Darong. Darong was the district across the Brahmaputra river on the other side, which had Tezpur as its district headquarters. Their violence had started earlier, so authorities had got alerted. In Nogong, they hadn't, so he was ruining the fact that in Nogong, Warnings had not come in early enough. And he said, now if it does so during the elections, when we'll all be distracted in trying to hold the elections, you will be counting corpses in hundreds. He was prophetic, of course. It's just that instead of hundreds, we were counting corpses in Delhi in thousands. The first symptoms appeared the day after this conversation. In the heat and dust generated by the riots at Chamaria, west of Guwahati, most people ignored the happenings around Jagi Road in Nagaon district, Nagaonau, a mere 15 kilometers from Nelly. Five persons were killed in what looked on the surface like a communal clash. But no one seemed to be in a hurry to find out who had killed whom. As so many were getting killed all over anyway, even killings in double figures were not making headlines, definitely not for newspapers in Delhi. This was, in fact, the first sign of the buildup of tribal frenzy that would hit the Nagong Plains like a devastating tornado five days later. The frequency of the near things, near things increased and on the eve of polling, tension had built up to such a degree that a large-scale outbreak of violence seemed inevitable in the bulk of the Nagong district. Nagong is the land of the most asamized tribals in the state. After their victories against the Kacharis, Another tribe, after their victories against the Kacharis, the Ahoms had allowed certain offshoots of the tribe to inhabit Nagong. The Lalungs, who had been vassals to both Kacharis and the Ahoms, were the main beneficiaries. They got this land. They inhabited this most fertile section of the Brahmaputra Valley freely till the immigrant Bengali Muslims came on the scene at the turn of the 20th century. Mostly they came from the Maiman Singh district of what was then East Bengal, then East Pakistan, now Bangladesh. In the great immigrant scramble for land, the Lalungs were the worst sufferers. The tribe with a population of about 
3.71 lakhs according to the 2011 census maybe close to 4 and a half lakhs now they lost most of most of their good land the lalungs lost most of their good land and were pushed deeper towards the various tributaries of the brahmaputra particularly the kopili river and into the jungles along the mikir hill some of these map references will run on your screens as i talk later the british administrators clumsily tried to prevent alienation of tribal land through what was called a line system under which imaginary lines were drawn across various parts of the infiltration prone districts the bengali settler was forbidden from crossing the line but always succeeded in exploiting the gullibility of the backward uneducated mostly uneducated illiterate tribals living across it remember i'm taking you back to the early decades of the 20th century the line was pushed deeper and deeper even a cursory analysis of the violence in naugaon district in 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 the february of 1983 would show that this even now remained the line that divided the two warring groups the systematic tribal attacks came across the pre independence lines the first signs of serious trouble appeared all along the bank of the river kopili which also incidentally flanks the nelly salient the tribals launched a series of relatively ineffective attacks against the muslims muslims retaliated with an attack on the village of bakulguri on 16 february 83 1983 the tribals the tribal reprisals on padumani village resulting in four deaths quickened the pace of developments and tension mounted high in and around hojai the town famous for its agarwood of which from which agarbatti is made and incense agarwood as you know is a fragrant forest produce is smuggled in from myanmar and used for incense that is the town incidentally from where badruddin ajmal kind of asaduddin owaisi of assam leader of or maybe somebody who holds sway over a lot of the muslim vote bank he comes from he is a fragrance trader too this later made an indirect contribution not badruddin ajmal but but what was happening in hojai and how how sensitive hojai was seen to be because everybody's attention shifted to hojai this made an indirect contribution to the carnage in nelly in that the administration's attention was concentrated on hojai which was regarded as a sensitive pocket the town was placed under curfew and since for the moment the police seemed to ignore the western parts of the district things happened with bewildering rapidity now the immigrant muslims kidnapped five of a family of lalungs their bodies were found the following day two of them were women and word quickly spread that the two young girls among them had been gang raped even as tribal reprisals around the nearby village of naga bandha left over 20 immigrant muslims dead the lalung rajas or chiefs as they were called they from the major habitations of the tribe at that point lalungs were just about 85000 strong so lalung rajas or chiefs they went into a huddle in a tea garden they decided to launch an all out attack on the immigrant areas now we don't exactly know what happened in that meeting there are different versions as to what exactly transpired at the darbar according to an account given to me by some educated lalungs then the instigation had come from some local small time agitation leaders etc etc but but we can't establish even when i was reporting this i couldn't establish any of this the lalung chiefs are said to have decided that they must kill at least 700 for each of their tribesmen killed 
It is amazing how a tribe known always for its docility, that's Lalums, how a tribe always known for its docility suddenly turned into a mob of bloodthirsty marauders. Before Nelly, the only act of defiance the Lalums, a Hindu Shaivite tribe, were credited with was the killing in 1861 of a British officer who tried to prevent them from cultivating opium, which was then the mainstay of their economy. It is possible that certain elements successfully exploited the Lalung ire, but basically the outburst originated from suspicion and hatred which had built up over the years against the people who had usurped, as they saw it, who had usurped their land. It was a curious bunch that began getting together in the tea gardens and forests around Nelly. The Lalungs had roped in some Karbis, that's also a tribe, some Karbis, and there was a generous sprinkling of non-tribal Asmi Hindu, Asmis Hindus as well, and even some Nepalis. The rest is relatively better known history. The wireless message from Zahiruddin Ahmed, the officer commanding of the Naugong police station or SHO as we would call him in the north, that wireless message containing a forewarning of the massacre in Nelly, which was ignored, is part of it. We will talk about the message and how I found it in the flickering light of a handheld electric bulb in the Naugong police station one late evening. A few weeks later after the massacres, we, we, we will talk about in the installment of first person second draft next week. It can however be said in defense of the police that even as Nelly was attacked, they were more than fully stretched with similar situations arising in dozens of places in the district. The most dangerous was Radhahati, called the Chambal of Assam then. The land was ruled by dacoits who operated from islands in the Brahmaputra. On the morning of February 17, 1983, officials at Naugong received alarming reports that a large force of immigrant Muslims led by the bandits was about to launch a frontal assault on the town of Dhing, predominantly inhabited by the Assamese Hindus. It was not a false alarm either, as a CRPF post on the outskirts of the town radioed a message to the district, district headquarters saying they were being fired upon with automatic weapons. This particular CRPF unit had recently been withdrawn from counterinsurgency duties in northeastern tribal states in the hills and carried self-loading rifles. Now everybody carries automatics and self-loading rifles, but in 1983 only those paramilitary forces units that operated in counterinsurgency theatre were authorized to carry self-loading rifles. So this unit did because it had just been withdrawn. The CRPF men then opened fire and this must have been the first time in country's independent history that a police force freely fired automatic rifles and light machine gun and light machine gun in a law and order, order situation. Insurgencies, yes, law and order situation for the first time. Over 200 rounds were fired and even though they killed only six of the attackers, the, the, the round of firing must have dampened the, dampened the enthusiasm of the rest. They melted away. Later, as Nelly consigned all other incidents to relative insignificance, the third phase of the violence began with the immigrant Muslim people looking for revenge, burning villages around Samaguri between the nights of 21 and 23 February. That was later. But the police were always close on their heels and managed to avert massacres in the nick of time. The fortnight of chasing shadows in the wild had by now left the police force too exhausted to be effective. The Muslims' retaliation move was a disaster in the same Nelly area. This is before the big massacre, remember. Their retaliation effort was a disaster. In fact, in fresh rounds of violence a week later around the Amtala forest, another 60 to 70 of the Muslim immigrants were killed and quietly buried 
in the marshes. Zahiruddin Ahmed discovered the skeletons three weeks later. Around Amtala, however, the immigrants had also faced a slightly different enemy, the Assamese Sikh. A number of villages around Nagong are inhabited by Assamese who converted to Sikhism centuries ago. Armed Assamese Sikhs passed off easily as CRPF and BSF men in Mufti. And by the time the luckless immigrant villagers saw through the ruse, it was too late. In fact, one of the first persons to die in police firings in Nogong district during the 1983 election campaign was Chandan Singh, an Assamese Sikh, who the police insist was a confirmed extremist. Police attention also shifted away across the river to the north bank of the Brahmaputra with killings and riots breaking out in the most poorly connected and forested regions. It was impossible to sift fact from fiction. Sometimes a dozen reported dead were 120 in reality and sometimes 120 reported initially weren't even four. It was that kind of fortnight. Gopur, Shalkhova Chapuri, River Island and all of these took our attention away from Khoirabari, deep east on the north bank where the second biggest massacre took place besides and before Nelly. Thus, when the mobs gathered into a frenzied army of 10,000 at the high school in Khoirabari, this is the north bank of Brahmaputra now, look at your map. The town had no more than five policemen led by a weak assistant sub-inspector hailing from Kachar, who must have been scared anyway because he was from the other valley in Assam state, that is Kachar, mostly Bengali valley. Following a well-laid-out plan, the mobs went out to encircle and annihilate Bengali villages while the policemen decided that discretion was the better part of Valor. Simultaneously, Assamese mobs struck the Bengali Hindu area of Goreshwar in the west, cutting off all escape routes. The government formally announced about 100 dead and informally accepted a figure of around 600. But if one is to go by the version of the BSF Jamans who came in after the killings, the toll was no less than 1,000. That's also the number I believe. In fact, I believe it might have been even higher because the place was so remote. There were heaps and heaps and heaps of bodies. It was just like Bangladesh. I'm quoting a veteran, a BSF veteran of 71 war, who then went on to add, quote, I counted 97 on the outskirts of one village. Two weeks after the killings, I saw vultures still scraping dozens of skeletons lying in the fields. On 3rd March, when we reached the place, the wounded survivors were still hiding out of fear and it was difficult persuading them to come out even after the police arrived. The totally disorganized state of the administration during those days is reflected in the way the Shaulkhova signals were ignored. The officer commanding of the Sipajar police station had had reports of the, of the build-up for the attack but was too busy trying to guard the bridges on and around the national highway and the government installations to do anything about this build-up of mobs. Five days after the first attacks, some survivors <coughs> managed to get out of the Chor, River Island and floodplain areas, taking the tale of the killings to the people in the Muslim immigrant majority villages of Dhula and Thekarabari, east of Mangaldoi. This led to immigrant Muslim attacks on the Assamese villages that took a toll of about 70 Assamese Hindus. In retrospect, thus, the sequence of events was the killing of immigrant Muslims at Shaulkhova, reprisals against the Assamese Hindus at Dhula, etc., etc., and then the great killings of Nelly right across the Brahmaputra River from Mangaldoi. And remember those days, all of the Brahmaputra River, 723 kilometers, had only one narrow bridge at Guwahati 
or what was called the Sarai Ghat Bridge. Now there is a bridge every 150 kilometers. And these are much bigger, much wider bridges. If Dorang and Naugong cornered the attention at this point, the other districts too were not free of violence. Gualpada had had about 300 to 400 dead in a series of ethnic clashes. And the obscure district of North Lakhimpur, see where it's located, right on the borders of Arunachal, but on the north bank of Brahmaputra, where nobody ever seemed to know what was happening. It had logged a toll of over a thousand as Assamese, Hindu and missing tribal hordes attacked village after village of Bengali Muslims and Bengali Hindus. Bengali Hindus were equally targeted because this sentiment was coming from also a very strong ethnic and linguistic emotion, ethnic, linguistic, cultural, political. It wasn't so religious as yet. It wasn't so communal as yet, although those trains were there. Deep in the east, almost bordering the Sadia frontier track, these killings took place and almost nobody was available and nobody reached out that far to record these killings. The survivors took to the river, that is Brahmaputra, and escaped to distant river islands, but were again attacked there as the attackers got there by boat. Nothing better characterized the atmosphere in those frenetic February days. Everyone feared everyone. Fear and hatred made a dangerous mix and took a toll of at least 2,000 in my count. It is difficult to club the clashes under any one general term as communal, ethnic, linguistic, political. They were probably a combination of all factors. Chauvinism and hypocrisy had effectively overtaken everybody's mind. The violence was still continuing when KPS Gill, late KPS Gill, and the commissioner of the Upper Assam Division, late B.S. Jaffa, they arrived at Mangaldoi by helicopter. The subdivisional police officer, S. Ahmed, who went up to the helipad, was in tears. You know, sir, how brutally they killed Hendi with Dhanakanta Hendi. A circle inspector who had been brutally killed and actually dismembered by the rioters. SM was the police officer describing the scene, said just this much and then broke down and howled. The mutilated, disfigured, crushed and burned body of circle inspector Ghanakanta Hendrik lay outside the compound of the Mangaldoi hospital as if on public display. The CRPF commandant was the most accurate with this assessment. He said while helping us negotiate a partly burned bridge, and I quote him, for 25 years, I have made a living out of controlling violent mobs. But this lot was different. For the first time, I saw mobs that kept coming, even when you fired straight on. We decided to withdraw, he said, because continuing firing would have resulted in a Jaliyamala bath. So this is the story until now. In the next part, as I had mentioned to you, I will tell you about how we worked with Arun Shori to unravel a great cover-up. A great cover-up. So this was really a story of uncovering a cover-up because behind these killings was a story also of great incompetence, great negligence, insensitivity and frankly some complicity as well. All right. We know that situation was very difficult. So there was also exhaustion and the demands on the police and the administration were unreal. But that was also a political blunder on Mrs. Gandhi's part. And later, as you would imagine, there was a great effort made to try and conceal facts. And we worked on this long investigation for weeks in Brahmaputra Valley in Assam to unravel it. I will tell you the story of that next week. So wait until next Saturday as well for my second, second in this series of first person, second draft.